Welcome back to Juncture Podcast. If this is your first time listening, Juncture represents my love of films and dreams and the similarities between them. These are also the two topics that I discuss on this podcast. Dreams are the films our mind creates and films are dreams actualized. I use my multidisciplinary background to examine films and dreams through the use of symbolism, imagery, motifs, as well as narrative and visual techniques involved in storytelling and understanding meaning. Today's episode is going to be about the film Loose. Loose is a 2019 American social thriller drama film directed, co-produced, and co-written by Julius Ona. It stars Naomi Watts. Octavia Spencer, Kelvin Harrison Jr., and Tim Roth. The film was based on the play of the same name by J.C. Lee and tells the story of a couple, Watts and Roth, forced to reconsider their marriage and their family after an extremely disturbing essay written by their adopted son, Kelvin Harrison Jr., is brought to to their attention by his teacher, Octavia Spencer. The cast is Calvin Harrison Jr. as Luce Edgar, Octavia Spencer as Miss Wilson, Luce's, I believe, history teacher, Naomi Watts as Amy Edgar, um, Luce's adoptive mother, and Tim Roth as Peter Edgar, Luce's adopted father. As always, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie yet, turn back now. Um, just like I do the other film analysis, I've broken this up into themes and, uh, this one was a little hard because not, not so much hard, but just, it was hard to sort of like pinpoint these themes, uh, these themes, um, because a lot of them kind of just all related back to each other. Like they're all one big thing and they're all interconnected together but um, I divided into four themes and then of course I have a miscellaneous and I just didn't know where those fit and the themes are (laughs) so this one was a lot so I I put I put like three things like sort of all in a category together so wearing masks pretending and assimilation. Um, I think these two are these three are very closely related, and the act of assimilating pretty much involves the other two wearing a mask and pretending. And the second theme is the box, and that's really just the box that people put you in. And the third one is race and class. And again, with uh, like race and class, it's involves the box. It involves assimilation, wearing masks, pretending like it's all they're all related to together. So when I kind of go through each one, there are going to be times where there are things that sort of relate to the previous theme or the theme that I'm going to discuss next. So, but I tried to keep it organized and. Uh, a good like um a nice flow you know cohesive flow and it all makes sense so hopefully that's what um what everyone what everyone gets 
um, with this. Um, raised in class, and it's shown multiple times throughout this movie. Um, but the main, the biggest, um, the biggest, you know, sort of in-your-face display of you know the clashing of race and class is loose. Um, he was adopted into, I guess, an upper class, upper middle class white family in, I guess, I think it's in Virginia. And he is brought into this class via his adoption, but he's still black. And so that race and class are kind of at play with each other. I mean, not at play, they're at, at odds with each other at times. And so I'm going to kind of go into that. And then the final one, it's not really a, well, I guess it could be a theme. It's more like symbolism, but it's colors and how colors were used in this film. And I didn't really notice a lot. And I watched this film twice. I didn't really notice a lot, but I did notice some things in, like, right away like things that really stood out to me so I feel like I might have missed something on the color but the very prominent things I feel like I caught that so we'll see so the first theme is wearing masks pretending slash assimilation and I kind of also put it in sections so a lot of this of his wearing a mask is pretending an assimilation a lot of it's based on being the ideal son um, in his parents' eyes and then being the ideal student, but also somewhat being at odds with that because I think deep down, Luce is still struggling with trying to find himself and trying to fit in, and it's also competing with these I, the ideal son, sort of this that he has to be the ideal son, the ideal student, the ideal, you know, person. I don't, I feel like I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna stick to the script and go as I go because I think I kind of got ahead of myself. So with the ideal son, I'm gonna sort of start with Luce's background um, as much as that was shared in the film and then sort of his relationship with his parents and how his parents interact with each other because there were like some weird things that I picked up on but it wasn't really talked about. So there was a scene, um, this was pretty, uh, I guess pretty early on I think. Um, (laughs) And I had never heard of this, but the dad, Peter, and the wife and the mom, Amy, um, the dad was invited to a sip and see, which is like some kind of party that um, new moms have after they like it's not the baby shower because that's before the baby, but the sip and see is after the baby's born and like the baby gets to meet all the people and the people get to meet the baby. I ain't never heard of that, but it's a thing. And so I had to Google because I was like, what is that? I, I had spelled wrong the first time. But I was just like, why Why are they going to this function of the Peter's ex? Like, I just don't understand that. Like, why are you still in touch with this woman? Uh, (laughs) 
And it's so weird because it it brought out, like, you got to see something was going on with them. Like, they're not perfect. I mean, not that anyone is, but they're trying to put on this this image. You know, they have this son. They rescued him from war-tone crunching in Africa. And, you know, the wife's a doctor and the dad, I don't know what he does, but they're, like, successful. They're well off. And it's like, everything's fine. Our son is fine. Nothing's going on. And then there's like this stuff that's going on below the surface with between the the mom and the dad, um, between the parents and loose, between loose and loose. And ugh, there's all kinds of stuff going on below the surface. So anyway, they were invited to go to this sip and see for Peter's ex. And the mom is like, you know, why are we going to this thing? She wanted to go to see colleges with Luce because Luce is like a senior. He's about to graduate. But he's like, oh, no, we're invited to this thing. And then Peter makes a joke about the mom not liking babies. Later on in the film, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to it, but it really highlights the, you get to see, is at the time when I was watching it, um, it definitely felt like there was some type of contempt or tension between the husband and wife when they were discussing this. Because I was like, why are you joking about that your wife doesn't like babies? Maybe she just doesn't want to go hang out at this baby shower with your ex-girlfriend or whatever. I don't know. It was weird. But basically, you know, watching the whole movie, watching everything... It basically represented the life that Peter missed out on, the one that he wished he had. Um, The husband wanted a baby. He wanted to start his family naturally. But I don't know why they didn't do that. Um, I don't know if it was either because Amy couldn't couldn't conceive or they didn't want to have, you know, I feel like he wanted to have, you know, a baby and have the, go through the whole pregnancy thing. But something was going, something was going on, something was happening. And she's like, let's adopt this boy from Africa. And they adopted him. He was like seven. So he wasn't a baby. And essentially, you know, they missed out on all of that. So there's this thing where Peter's at the shower playing with the baby and um, he looks around at Amy, and Amy has just gotten off and, and walked off, walked out of the room. So she's kind of like, you know, I don't want to see my husband, you know, sitting here playing with this baby, with this ex that, you know, she probably feels like he probably wanted to be with her because they would have had a baby together and they would have happily ever after and they would have had the life that Peter wanted. You know, it was it was really weird. I don't know what's going on. Um, and throughout the movie, when they're talking about Luce, the mom is really defensive. She's pretty much feels like they, um, adopted him from Africa. They brought him over here. They put him in therapy and that everything is resolved. And so like, everything's like perfect now. So it's, she's like, you know, Hey Peter, you didn't need to, we didn't need to go through all of this the pregnancy and having a baby. I mean, we had Luce and look how he turned out. He's great. Everything's perfect. So she's trying to, 
I guess, make herself believe and then convince herself and convince Peter that they didn't really need that life. You know, they have a good life now and that, you know, all the hard work paid off, you know, Lucy's fine, but that's not the case. Um, the mom basically, she feels like we fixed him, we saved him. I think Amy, um, and maybe Peter as well, but I think more so Amy, that she believes that if they put that if they put in so much work, that they were bound to get the ideal son. You know, no matter whether you went the natural way or you adopted, if you put in the work and you build this child up and you mold them and you teach them the ways that you want them to go, that there's no other result but to have the ideal son. Like, you'll get everything you wanted. You know, you put all this work and this effort and you make these sacrifices and then of course you get what you know you get what you want there's nothing else that could possibly be wrong with loose after everything we've done and that's not the case y'all that's i mean that's not how things work you aren't you aren't guaranteed that the work the time and the love that you put into raising a child like i said biologically or otherwise that you're going to get a reward that is equal in portion to the labor that you put in you're not guaranteed a reward you're not is not something like a hobby or a skill that you learn that you put in all the time and you study and you work hard and then you know you get the job or you get the promotion or you're able to make more money and you can like buy the house or whatever it's not like that you know like kids aren't things they're not you can't guarantee that outcome the way you would with other things because it's so it's so random it's a gamble no matter what avenue that you take in in becoming a parent it's just a gamble and i don't know what kind of philosophy amy and was trying to apply to this but that's not that's not how any of this works um <laughs> Uh, and there is a really, really weird scene. Uh, I I don't think their marriage is gonna this not if this movie was gonna go on to like a series, their marriage wouldn't make it through the series. Like they were on the last leg, they were, the tank was running on E at this point in the relationship um, because Luce is he's having problems and. The dad, at this point, you know, loses, you know, he's 17, 18 years old. And the dad is just like, he's just, he's had it. He doesn't feel, basically, he doesn't feel that the effort and the labor that they put into raising him was worth it because they lost so much in the process of, you know, everything that they've done to sort of heal him and to heal his trauma and and to, to, get him acclimated or assimilate him into the culture, into the community, into their home. And he just feels like it just wasn't worth it. So one night, um, she comes home and he's like drunk and she's talking to him at the table. And he says something like, uh, what does he say? He says something about that it cost them to 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 um adopt loose 
the whole process it cost them and Amy's like what do you mean by that like what do you mean by it cost us um and so the dad that's when he reveals that he wanted you know he had you know he said he wanted a biological child and this resentment you know with everything going on with Luce like I said he's had it you know and so this resentment of I missed out on the life that I wanted to have this life and it still didn't pay it off and that resentment boils over with you know after all these things are happening with Luz and he's just drinking he's just telling he's he's speaking from his heart you know authentically um even though you know what he's saying is like really sad and horrible um you know, after so much they put, so much work they put in to quote unquote fix um, loose things are still hitting the fan. They missed out on the quote unquote fun part of parenting. Um, you know, they put in so much energy, energy he think they wouldn't have had to do if they had had a biological child. He feels like, <laughs> like, um, like their genes would have made like they would have had a better outcome with their genes mixed together and producing a child I, I mean they seeing how they handle and, and raise loose you know I mean I don't know maybe they would have did better but like I said the way genes are selected and they pick you know genes from the mom and genes you know DNA or whatever from the dad and from the mom and then it comes together and then you got this baby who's like a combination of you know the mom and the dad and who's to say that you know their own genes couldn't have been you know you know mix his genes mixed with Amy's genes you know who's to say that they couldn't you know that they would have had you know their ideal child and they would have their ideal life and that everything would have been fine but he's like this um you know, everything that we've sacrificed, um, they sacrificed, you know, friends and, and a network of, of friends because he said their old friends fell off and became parents to, you know, raising their biological children that didn't come with the baggage that Luce did. You know, they didn't have to go through years of therapy, you know, um, and they're like, you know, now their friends are off. You know, they didn't understand why him and Amy were doing what they were doing. And they didn't, um, you know, I think it was hard for them to relate and understand. And I think they kind of just like, let's just, mm, let's just do our own thing. And they just kind of like, just kind of went in the background and were like, okay, they had this child and they're just having a really hard time. They probably can't do certain things or go certain places because, you know, Luce is traumatized or he's dealing with PTSD kind of thing. And, you know, they missed, they, he feels like they missed out. He also says, he, he tells his wife that you so desperately want him to be what you want him to be that you're ignoring what's in right in front of you. The dad, I think, definitely, I think he was... He realized that something was wrong, that, um, you know, they sacrificed themselves for the, for loose. And now they're seeing that, 
everything that they've done that there is still something bubbling up below the surface. And then there's also, um, I think they never really understood. They couldn't really relate to him. And I don't think they really understood what he was going through. And even after, you know, he makes the sort of assimilation and they think everything's fine. It's like, they're still really not relating to him. And you kind of see that throughout their movie. And Luce also says a similar thing. Uh, when he is talking to his mom about Miss Wilson, he says, she's trying to protect her idea of me, just like you and dad. Um, he says, um, unfair doesn't make it true because, you know, he's he's like this ideal son, and this ideal student. And so people are trying to protect him because they think he's the, like, he's going to make it. You know, he's going to be great. He's going to do great things. But, you know, when it came to another kid in school, his name was Deshaun, another black kid, um, he had already been deemed that he wasn't going to make it. So it's like, let's not try to um, help him. Let's help loose. You know, he's... He's more likely to get further along in whatever we, you know, whatever it is that he's going to do or we hope for him to do. And so Tashawn gets left behind. And um, I kind of explained that a little bit later on in a different category, but stick, keep it on track here. Um, Luz, okay, so in, speaking of Luz being the ideal, you know, the ideal son, the ideal kid, the model student. Luce is not who he is on the surface. Um, it's all cordial and pleasantries and mask. He knows how to charm, when to turn the charm on, and how to disarm people. But Miss Miss Wilson can see right through him. She knows that something is bubbling below the surface. Things aren't as they seem with Luce. And when I was watching this, I... He's so, he seems so perfect and he's just like innocent, you know, like he's just, you know, what can he do wrong? And I was, I, I started to feel like, you know, before I got into the movie, it was sort of in the beginning, I was like, is Miss Wilson, is she targeting him? Did she plant the fireworks, the stuff in his locker? So the backstory on this, and I probably should explain this, but... So he wrote this paper um, for his Miss Wilson's class, and the paper assignment it was supposed to be right from the point of view of a, a famous person in history. And Luce writes the paper from the point of view of this pan, uh, this guy that was a pan Africanist, and he said that violence was. He believed that violence was necessary for colonized people to free themselves from their colonizers and Miss Wilson was like uh this is kind of disturbing loose and she turns to the paper to his parents or to his mom and then she says you know and that made me want to feel like I had to search his locker so she goes to search Lucy's locker and finds a bag of of banned illegal fireworks she said they were had enough power they had the same power as a shotgun or something like the blasting power of a shotgun so she's like, what is he planning to do? He's talking about, he picked this dude who's advocating for violence to free them, you know, people to free themselves from the colonizers, you know, like, can't do that in school. Like, what? 
Oh, you finna blow up people. What's going on? <laughs> and, oh my God. And so, Luz comes into the classroom. He tries, he's like apologizing, but he just says something really weird. So he's like apologizing and they kind of get into it a little bit. But she's like, okay, you know, discussion is over, you know, have a good day. And he goes to walk out and then he turns around and he goes into this really weird, you know, little spiel about 4th of July being his favorite holiday. Like it had nothing to do with what they were talking about. Um, He didn't know that he had found the fireworks. His mom had the teacher, Miss Wilson, had given them to his mom. His mom had hit the fireworks and hadn't told him about it, but he found them. But Miss Wilson, I it it was it was so weird because I was just like, why is he talking about this? This doesn't make sense. And so when he started talking about fireworks, and he's like, he really likes the fireworks because it just, you know, it makes the boom and the explosion and stuff. And so she took that as like a threat. And, you know, because at first I was like, okay, is she targeting him? But then I was like, why is he talking about, you know, why did he bring up the fireworks? She didn't even mention the fireworks. He mentioned the fireworks. I was like, what is he trying to say? Like, is he threatening her? Is he just, it was so weird. But the interaction between them, he he can talk in a way that he tries to manipulate and disarm people. You know, he smiles, he's really nice, he's really polite. But Ms. Wilson can just, she can see right through him. And she was not, like, responding to him the way that other people respond to him. And I was just like, this is so weird, it's creepy. Another weird, another weird scene. Okay, so this is all about Luce and his little, like, personality and being the ideal person and 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 acting um there's a scene that just really creeped me out like it's the creepiest it's the scariest scene in the movie not because it's like something's jumping out at you but just because it's so like disturbing towards the end of the movie somehow I don't know when it has but somehow Luce gets back to school so he knew where his mom hit the fireworks um, she had moved them from one place and put them in another place, but he had found them. Um, they were at, I don't, he got to the school at some point and put the, the fireworks in Miss Wilson's desk and set them on fire. The fireworks went off, burned up the classroom, not the whole building, but burned up the classroom. Guys, so when his mom, so he he's such a manipulator. So that day after the fire, because the fire happened the night, the next day he's like, you know, hey, can you take me to school? And she's like, you want me to drive you? He never, she never drives him to school. That's not usual. Um, that's not the usual thing that happens. So she drives him to school, and he wanted her to drive him to school so that she could feel unnerved and uneasy and see all the fireworks, I mean, not the fireworks, the fire trucks and stuff at the school. She drops him off. And when she comes back home, because there's been a fire at the school, so she's like, oh my God, the freaking fireworks. So when she had dropped him off, she goes back home. 
and she is freaking out. She had moved the fireworks from a different place in the house, and she thought that he didn't know where it was. She goes in in this other second hiding place looking for the fireworks. The fireworks are gone. Luce has taken the fireworks, and he didn't set them off. He set them off at school at night sometime and tried, I mean, almost burned the school down. And she's, like, freaking out. And because she lied for him. She lied for him. She covered for him. And to find out that he's really out here, you know, trying to use these fireworks. So Luz comes back to the house and he's talking to his mom. And he he tells her, oh, this is where he used to hide the Christmas presents. And his mom was like, oh, you knew where I hid the Christmas presents? You always acted so surprised. And he goes, I'm good at acting surprised. And then they're staring at each other. And he does this creepy thing with his face where, you know, they were having a heartfelt moment. And he was, like, crying and stuff. And then he said, after he says, I'm good at acting surprised, he just, like, just, like, this, like within seconds, like, his face just perks up and he's smiling. And he has, like, this authentic-looking, you know, faked authentic looking surprised look on his face and his mom is just like stunned um it's so creepy because I kind of just gasped you know I kind of just it startled me because I thought he was gonna like because he did it it was just so instant it was just just like that like he's like I'm good at being surprised and then he starts like his eyes change and he, he smiles big and he kind of like laughs and then right after that he goes back to what his face was like before and I was like oh my god this kid is y'all he's it was so it was so creepy I was just like oh that is weird that is really really weird he's literally telling his mom that he's a good actor she's probably the only person that has been able to see a glimpse of the real Luce. Um, a glimpse because he's still acting. He's still playing her. But the fact that he revealed to her that he's a good actor, you know, it's like he's kind of let, he kind of let down his defense. He kind of let his guard down and sort of let her in because she, she lied. He's, he knew that she had lied for him in front of the principal, in front of Miss Wilson, in front of his dad. And he was like, I guess, you know, I'm, you know, he's going to reveal himself to her. He's going to sort of like let her in a little bit because he always kept his parents kind of at arm's length. There was, there was this weird, um, I can't think of the word that I use, but they gave him too much privacy. Um, and so there was always like this boundary, like they couldn't, I mean, you know, they couldn't get too close. He was always kind of like a little, you know, a little bit standoffish. And so I guess when she lied for him, he just kind of, um, you know, let her in, let her get closer to him, you know, a little bit. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> and this happened towards the end. So I was just like, he's, he's definitely playing games with everybody he's playing her 
Um, he bought her this gift and he's like, let's start over. And he called her mom when I don't remember him ever calling her mom, calling him. I don't remember him ever calling her mom any time in the movie, except this time he always called her Amy. And then this time he calls her mom and it's like, okay, this is part of him being a manipulator. But then I was just like questioning everything because I I was just thinking, you know, what's even real? When is he telling the truth? When is he lying? When is he acting? Uh, I know he's a manipulator. Um, he manipulates his parents, teachers, friends. And he's even manipulating us, you know, the viewers. And, but I think I'm going to go with my instinct and I'm going to say that that was probably the closest she's ever been to him. And that that was probably the the first person that's ever really gotten a real glimpse of him. Um, at least, I, you know, since he's been adopted. But uh, so now, you know, now that she lied for him and he's calling her mom, you know, she's like, I guess she's his his ride or die, you know, he knows that she's on his side, um, at this point, and she's team loose, but the dad, that's all I was like, the marriage, their marriage is not gonna make it, so the dad is definitely not team loose, but the mom, she's like, you know, she's all in, and this is another weird scene, um, there's a scene where Luce is in an empty, the empty, an empty room at school and he's practicing his speech and he starts crying but he's smiling as he's practicing his speech it's really weird like there's two emotions like his real his real feelings are are coming to the surface but he's also smiling so that's like his facade his persona and they're all happening on the same face it's it's crazy um in his speech, he says, here we get to choose who we want to be here being America. And I was in just a commentary on that because it's ironic. You know, he's saying these words, but I, he doesn't believe them. You know, he's he's crying as he's reciting these words. And, you know, there are other times in the movie as well where he's, you know, he's saying something that doesn't that goes against these these wonderful speeches that he's giving about how much he loves America and how much he loves his parents and how perfect he's sounding and how perfect he's he's behaving are just really just at odds with what he is believing that's like deep down inside. And it's also ironic because that's that's the you know, here we get to choose who we want to be. Luce doesn't get to choose. He didn't get to choose. Um, that the lie we're told is that we get to choose, we get freedom, but that's not always the case. Not everyone is free. And yes, in a way we're all free, but some of us are more free than others. When Luce, um, um, when he says during his speech, when he was trying to learn how to spell his name, because it's Luce, like that's how it's spelled L-U-C-E. And he was learning English and he said he spelled his name like he's like you spell the word lose, 
L-O-O-S-E, which is weird. I mean, not weird, but I guess ironic and telling because it's like lose, like he's going to lose. There are things he's going to lose. He's going to lose at this game of life or, you know, like he's not going to win. And within his safe, filtered, PG life story, he puts in clues to what was really going on and what he's really thinking, the dark side, the darker, the sadder side of his story. Um, He would lose and not win or win and lose at the same time in America. Um, And also doing his speech, I feel like what he was saying was like positive, but then what he really meant was like the opposite of it or like these opposite emotions because he's smiling and saying it's this stuff and people are like, oh, and then I'm just like, that's not what's going on. That's not how he feels. That's not the life that he lived or that he has lived. It's just, it's just. It's a combination of, you know, the assimilation and wearing the mask and pretending and um, the mix of racism and race and class in America. And they're just all odds with each other. And that, you know, he's an immigrant. He was adopted and he's supposed to feel grateful that he's here and that he has a family that's, you know, well off and they can provide, you know, everything for him. And but it's like it's not, you're you're not, you're still really not winning. He's still really not winning. He's still really not, um, he's not free. He's not, um, able to be himself. So it's like, what cost? And then his, you know, his parents' dad was like, it cost us, but it's like, what did it, what is it costing loose to be loose in America? Or to, you know, to lose in America. Like, what is it costing him to be himself in America? And he feels like, oh, I lost out, you know, in his life. And it's like, you know, he's not the only one that sacrificed and that lost things, you know. Um, And then his more, okay, so more about this speech. Um, So in the beginning, he was doing a speech. And then there's a second one towards the end. Um. And he's talking about finding himself and he's telling this story. Um, And I was just like, did he really find himself? Is this really his story? Because like I said earlier, it's a safe, filtered, you know, PG life story. He don't talk. He didn't. I don't think he really talked about. I mean, he can't be happy and positive and smiling and, you know, really go into the dark, sadder part of his past what he went through before going adopted, what he went through being adopted, what he's going through now. Like, you know, I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's a version of his story. It's not the whole story or the complete story. It's a filtered version of his story. So his filtered, safe, wholesome story, um, that doesn't explain the trial and the heartache and he'll always be acting. I thought when he was practicing his speech and he was crying, I thought, okay, he's going to have a breakthrough. When he goes to do the real speech, it's going to be rewritten. It's going to be different. But 
I don't think he did. I think he kept the speech. But in at the end of the movie, he's given the speech and the speech is cut off. We never hear how it ends. But, you know, we don't, I mean, you don't really get to know him through that speech anyway. But, I mean, if there was something revealing or if he, you know, he was going to be more authentic or something like that, we weren't going to get to know it. We weren't going to get to know the real loose. And so that part, you know, the ends of his speech is, is cut off. And so we don't get to know if he changes anything. But I don't think he does. I don't think he really is authentic in his speech at the, at the end. So, um, And speaking of being authentic, assimilation is acting, um, pretending. You learn to be like those in your environment because you want to or need to fit in. Luz finds it hard because his whole persona is an act. Um, when you're performing as actors do and he's performing 24-7, it's, it's exhausting to, to do that that much. Um, to always be on, to never, um, and to never feel like you can relax or slip up and this was something that I really, you know, that I personally identify with. Um, I know when, when I first meet people and, um, you know, we get to that point where we're talking about where I'm from and, and I tell people that, uh, you know, I'm actually, you know, from a small town in the country and like, this is not how I talk. I, one of the reasons why I started doing this podcast and I've also, you know, done other like voice, um, recorded voice projects before, but I, you know, I did it because I wanted to hear to try to get back to my relaxed voice, like my authentic voice. Um, I grew up in the country and I sound like the people that raised me, you know, I sound like my community and sometimes I feel like um, I've been gone so long that I can't or can't, you know, I can't sound like my original self or like I don't know how to um, sound like my original self anymore. I think when, you know, I, I feel like I haven't sounded like my original self since, like, before I left for college. And that's been a long time. And so I was just like, when, you know, like, trying to find a space, trying to, to get comfortable with even not having that space where I can feel relaxed but sort of feeling relaxed all the time and be able to be authentic in how I sound and, and no matter where I am. And so I think that's hard when you're trying to fit in and you're trying to assimilate and you're trying to be like everybody else you're around, you know, because I don't feel like I'm not... I'm not around like the people that I grew up. And so I don't have that 
comfort, that familiarity to where, oh, there's people that sound like me, so then I can sound like me. And it's like, you don't have that, that, that feedback, sort of like that, okay, you know, if we're, if this is how the people around me sound, then it's okay for me to sound like that too. But it's like, I, I, I'm rarely in a situation where I'm that comfortable or where I'm that relaxed to where even if I'm not around people that don't sound like me, I can still sound like me. And it's, it's been a struggle to get back to that. And so I've been trying to do that with this podcast. I know whenever I first start recording, you know, an episode in the beginning, I sound like really rehearsed. And then as I go into the episode, I try to get, you know, I'm more relaxed, but I don't know if I'm there yet. I don't know if I'm in a space where I'm just 100% comfortable around everybody to where, you know, you can just, uh, where I can just, you know, like let it go and like, this is how I sound. This is how I talk, but, uh, it's a process. I mean, even at the big old age that I am right now, it's still a process. And so I identify with Lucy, you know, in that way and, and trying to, the struggle of trying to fit in and um, always having to be on, always having to, you know, make sure you pronunciate, make sure you sound professional make sure you aren't using slang, you know, you aren't dropping the endings off of your words. And it's just like, oh, it just gets exhausting. Like, you just want to be able to do that. But, you know, like loose in, in, in what Ms. Wilson tells him, but sort of like being in this box and, 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 you know, going out into the world and realizing that you're, you know, that you're going to be in this box and that, um, there's not a lot of room to be an individual or to be you like it's not acceptable I mean it's a lot it's a lot lot better than it was you know decades ago but we're definitely not yet there yet um so overall you know it becomes this question of who are you who am I a part of the simulation process is losing or submerging parts of yourself below the surface. And then the persona is pushed or floats to the top. And, you know, with Luce's parents and the people around him and the community, the persona that he is that's on the surface is acceptable. So they don't question that they're just like this is the way he's supposed to be this is the way he's supposed to act and so they accept whatever is on the surface and they you know nobody digs to see what's underneath because the persona is the norm it's the standard it's it's um you know it's what is expected and so no one questions anything. They don't question if he's struggling. They don't question if um, he's still living with trauma or he's now living with new trauma, you know, being black in America. Um, Nobody questions that because the persona that he's taken on is, you know, it's, it's what's the dominant, you know, persona in his community. 
And so they're just like, that's, everything's fine, you know? He's fine, that's, you know, everything's good. But, you know, it's not. Um, the next, this took a really long time. I might have to split this into two podcasts. Um, the box is the second theme. The very, uh, from the very, I mean, this is the very first shot in the, in the film or one of the very first shots in the film. It shows the outside of the school lockers, basically compartments metal boxes where things are placed and things are held um you know what and I just thought about this when I was questioning whether or not who put the fireworks in the locker and loose lies that someone else put the fireworks in the locker the opening scene shows a hand putting the fireworks in the locker they're in like a bag but I was like whose hand was it I mean I know it was loose but then you know he's just got me second guessing I know it was him but I'm like did someone did someone else put the fireworks in there he's happened to be like okay I'm gonna use these fireworks that were in here to do something but anyway um so the lockers are basically these metal compartments that house things where things are placed where things are kept kind of like the boxes were put in then it shows the outside the exterior of the building and the way the exterior of the building is designed the architecture the windows are all on one side all the classrooms top second floor first floor all have these vertical these long rectangular windows that mirror the shape of the rectangular lockers and in these little these like little compartments, you know, these windows look their little compartments, little boxes are little classrooms where people are held inside the classrooms in the box. I thought it was very symbolic. Um, Luce is in this box at home and at school. It's kind of like the uh, model minority stereotype. He is the um, the standard at which. Um, all other, um, especially um, black um, male students are held up to, you know, be like loose. And I'm like, that's a really awkward, a really tough um, position to be in. The infamous speech that I love that Miss Wilson gives Luce uh, about the box. She says, um, he's like arguing with her. And she says, you still don't get it. You don't get it. It's not just you. Um, oh, it's not just about you. And it's not about me. America puts you in a box. And it's tight. And it's dirty. And you can't move. But guess what? Too bad. We're all in there together. Whether you like it or not. And only so much light gets in that box loose. Some people get it. And some people don't. And, guys, the light also made me think of the speech that he did when he explained the new name that his parents gave him. Loose means light. Loose is trapped in this box. Loose 
gets the light. Um, people prop him up, hold him up because America and this particular community has deemed Luz as one of the few black people to get the light. Um, his parents picked him um, from Eritrea, I think I said that right, and gave him a new name meaning light. So basically, like, they picked him out of all the kids in the world that they could have adopted. They could have had their own kid. They picked Luce and like, okay, we're going to name you Luce. You get the light. You know, you get the privilege of uh, coming to America. You get, you know, the class status. You get... Um, whatever that proximity to their white privilege gets them, he gets it by proximity. So it's like he's chosen to get the light out of everybody else. And then what about everybody else? What about Deshaun, um, the kid that gets kicked off the football team? You know, it's just he's he's been deemed. He's the one that everyone's holding up. And this wasn't talked about. Um, I mean, I don't, it wasn't talked about anyway, but it stood out to me because his name Luce um, is very similar to the name Lucifer, but it's not. It's not. I know everyone's thinking like he's Satan, he's the devil. No, that's not where I'm going. Um, so, quick Google search. Um, Lucifer is the name of various mythological and religious figures associated with the planet Venus. Due to the unique movements and discontinuous appearance of Venus to the Earth or the underworld. Oh, oh my God, it just misread. Due to the unique movements and discontinuous appearance of Venus in the sky, Mythology surrounding these figures often involved a fall from the heavens to the earth or the underworld. Some Christian tradition applies the name Lucifer and its associated stories of a fall from heaven. The Latin word Lucifer means the morning star, the planet Venus, or as an adjective, light bringing Modern scholars translate a similar term in Hebrew in the Hebrew Bible to mean morning star or shining one rather than as the proper name Lucifer. Um, so I felt this is very telling and I expect that Luce will have a similar fall from grace at some point. Like he's not, it's a struggle to keep up. And I feel like he's not going to be able to keep it up all the time. Um, there's a scene in the movie where he's arguing with his mom and he says he is only, it's like he's only allowed to be a saint, angel, or a monster, fallen angel, Satan. He is idolized and put on a pedestal as a model student. It's hard to stay balanced, but especially hard being such an exemplified student and son so high up with so many eyes watching. Perhaps his fall from grace is inevitable. Fortunately, so the next thing is race and class, and also within this is um, something that Luce actually brings up in the movie: um, tokenism and stereotypes. Um, 
Now, in the conversation, when Luz talks about tokenism and stereotypes, um, he talks about, well, he doesn't talk about his parents. We're talking about, you know, there's a positive and a negative connotation with other, but Luz is like, it's really one really better than the other. Like, I don't want to be neither. Um, so the positive benefits and responsibility um, are the the positive side. So I guess that would be the tokenism, the positive benefits, and also the responsibility of being the model minority, the model student, the model black student, the model son um, comes with that responsibility. But the negative um, stereotypes are also what he has to deal with as well, just in America as a whole. Luce feels that Miss Wilson singles people singles people out, uses them as examples, um, like she like she did um, the black student named Deshaun that was on his cell phone instead of paying attention to class. Deshaun is also the guy who she found weed in his locker and that got him kicked off the football team and he wanted he needed a football scholarship in order to pay for college and it was like there's only one person to get the light and Deshaun messed up so he's out so you up loose um and and so Deshaun is like so is if loose is a, is the token then Deshaun is the stereotype. So Deshaun isn't going to get the light. Luce is going to get the light. He's the, the exemplified example, the perfect student. But it's like, is, 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 you know, is one really better than the other? And then he has a conversation of, that relates to that with Deshaun. And Deshaun asks him, I don't see you trying to trade places with me. You know, do you want to trade places with me? And he didn't really have anything to say because he's like, no, nah, I don't want to be kicked off the football team. I don't want to be getting in trouble. You know, I don't want to be, um, I don't want the negative benefits that you're getting. But he's like, I don't, I don't really like being the token. But, I mean, there's negative benefits. I mean, there's, he has the positive benefits, but the positive benefits aren't really benefits and they're not really positive. So it's like it's, they're constantly, like he's battling both. And with him and, and Deshaun in these, in these things together, um, it really shows that clash between race and class and, and being the token and being the stereotype and what each person is dealing with when they are placed in the box or categorized as one or the other. Another weird scene between the parents. So they're having this discussion in the car about being PC, politically correct. The dad has issues with being or not being PC, which is odd that the dad is so loose with not being politically correct when they have a a black son. Um, 
everything seems to be only separated by a thin line. There's a lot of tension and the same thing with being, you know, politically correct or being politically incorrect. Um, there's that fine line between that, which is basically being offensive and uh, being polite, you know, I guess. But I I feel when a lot of people are like, you know, sort of want to be, you know, are talking about being politically correct, they usually don't want to be politically correct. But I think it's just people want to say whatever they want to say without any consequences. They want to say whatever they want to say without being held accountable for how other people may feel about what they're saying. They don't want anybody to give them any kind of rebuttals, any kind of feedback. They just want to be able to dish whatever they want to dish out. So that's what I always have. Um, problems with people like, I don't want to, so that's politically correct. I don't, I don't want to do that. And it's like, no, you just want to be able to say whatever you want to say. But you don't want anybody to you know, say anything back about it or you don't want to have any, you know, repercussions. It's kind of like people only want free, you know, they just, they only are like free, you know, in America we have free speech, but it doesn't mean you're free from the consequences of what you say. Like you can't just say whatever you want and think people aren't just you know, people just aren't going to react. You know, I don't, I don't know what people are thinking. Like, that's not how freedom of speech works. It's not, that's, you're not, you know, you know, talking out into the abyss. People can hear you and they can respond back and they can react, you know, like what? So I just thought it was really weird because it's like, it just seemed like really out of touch. Um, and it also was like, they were just really like really nonchalant about it and I just thought they they didn't take um and that was like one of the things where they didn't take just overall they just don't take things seriously um everything on the surface is a facade the dad doesn't want to be PC so he's too nonchalant the mom wants to be politically correct but is also too nonchalant I also found it weird that they were um Uh, they were aware of being politically correct and, and what you're supposed to say to be politically correct, especially aiming, but they seemed really oblivious to the pressures that they and others were placing on loose. It's like, how can you understand the concept of being politically correct, but ignoring and just I don't know just oblivious to the issues that your son is facing um as a black student as a black you know young person in America just to be the out of touch but to be aware you know that but I don't know it just they just seem like really out of touch um also in regards uh so more on the race and class and I sort of mentioned this earlier but um they are a part of what could be considered the protected class white upper middle class 
and loses somewhat absorbed into this protected class through assimilation, proximity, and adoption. Though he is absorbed into this protected class, he is still very much aware of his blackness, evidenced by his conversation with his friend Kenny about not wanting to get caught smelling like weed while walking around at night. Um, there are other instances um, where he has conversations with others about you know being put in a box, not wanting to be the recipient of tokenism. So Luz is aware of this you know, these things that are at play in society, but I don't know, his parents are just like, they don't get it. They're just like out of touch, but it's like they have the capacity to understand. They have the capacity to, um, you know, there are times when they're, they, 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 they feel like, you know, like they can get it or they do get it, but I don't know. It's like a disconnect or something. I can't explain it. It's. It was frustrating to watch at times, a lot of the time. So the fourth and final theme is colors. Because it's, it's not a, not a theme; it's more of a symbol. Um, and the color is teal. There are several instances where color was used, but the first one I noticed teal. Teal is, of course, a mix of blue and green. And it's an in-between color, not quite one or the other, kind of like loose in its place in its community. Community. There's a scene where his friend says, um, he says that Luce is not black black, but he doesn't say he's, he's, he's white, but that he's just loose. And so it's like, I don't know, like how his friends see him. That was just like really weird. So it's like, if he's not, you know, because they were talking about Deshaun, and he's like, you know, Deshaun's black, I'm black. And then his friends was like, but you're not black, black. So I guess it was like sort of the black stereotype, you know, but he didn't say, I guess he was just like, oh, you're a different kind of black, a different kind of black person or something. Um, so like Luce is sort of like this in between, um, he's not seen as someone like Deshaun, but he's also not, you know, he's not seen as white either. So I feel like the, the color teal represented, I guess him well. And the night that the very beginning of the opening scene, it was a night that he was doing his first speech and it showed the lockers. The school lockers were till green and then it looked like the outside of the school, the same school where it was like the windows, was like this teal color as well was used. And after he finishes his speech and everyone walks out of the auditorium and they're standing in the hallway and his parents are standing there and Miss Wilson walks up to the parents. Miss Wilson is wearing a teal blouse. And Luce's mom is wearing this lime green color, like a chartreuse uh, green color blouse. So Miss Wilson is wearing this teal color that's 
associated with loose and then his mom amy is wearing like this lime green this lighter color that really stands out against the beiges and the grays and the muted colors that everyone else is wearing even the sweaters the carnigans that the women wear over the top are their brightly colored blouses are like beige and gray but then there's these pops of color that really makes them stand out against everybody else and that the teal and the lime green are kind of like in the same color family that they're they're sort of side by side um they're they're next to each other on the color wheel so that proximity uh that relationship to loose i think was what was trying to be shown and then also to make these two women stand out because these two women were very pivotal it's like the second time i had a hard time saying this pivotal pivotal roles in this film especially in relationship to loose very important roles so i was like okay see what they're doing here um and then oh i also wrote that the the bland muted colors also really fit into the when people think of suburbia and the sort of bland everything looks the same and everyone dresses the same and they're supposed to act act alike and talk alike it's you know if suburbia was going to be a color it'd be gray and beige and varying shades of cream and ivory and you know it's like it's eggshell it's dove it's you know it all looks like the same color but um it's just that that sort of blandness and that that illusion that things are different but it's like people are just like really all trying to be the same I don't know that's what I thought of and it also and I I didn't get a quick I get I didn't get a good look at this a good I think Luce's house like where he lived I think it was also like a teal color also there were two rooms inside Luce's home that were a a light teal color. So like a minty green, but it was that teal color, but not a dark teal like the lockers and Miss Wilson's blouse, but it was like a lighter shade of teal. The dining room where they have very important conversations during the film, it looks like it's a teal color. And the... There's a bookshelf in one of the rooms, and it's where Amy hides the fireworks behind, like, this false panel or something. But the interior of the bookshelf, like, the accent wall of the bookshelf, kind of like where the books are, that back of the bookshelf is, like, the same sort of light teal color. Now, that was important because that's a secret spot where she hid the fireworks. That's where... She used to hide the Christmas presents. That's where Luz is sitting down next to her and telling her how he he's a good actor. He knows how to act surprised. Like, so weird. But that's the colors. Those are the colors that were used. Um, and now we're on to the, the miscellaneous um, tabs. And it's just like, 
the things that I couldn't really fit into the other things, but were bugging me uh, throughout the movie and writing this this uh, outline. Um, so the very first scenes when after Luce does his speech and the parents and the you know everyone that was in the auditorium walks out, Miss Wilson was and I didn't notice this the first time I was watching it but the second time I noticed this but Miss Wilson rushes over to Luce's parents and she's trying to like talk to them because Luce isn't standing over there she's trying to you know let them know that something's going on but as soon as Luce sees her talking to his parents he makes like a beeline straight to them and then before she can get anything out about what's going on with Luce, he's over there in the conversation. The look and just her body language was just, it was noti- noticeable instantly that there was some tension between Miss Wilson and Luce. She almost seemed afraid and definitely uncomfortable. And... Like I said, when he appears swiftly over there, like he's trying to, in, you know, interject into the conversation, she basically, you know, ends the conversation real quick and then just walks off. And it's like, okay, bye. <laughs> it's like, um, what? That was so awkward. That was so weird. Like, what's going on? Um, and another scene that's, uh, this combines... So they use music. They they have like a I guess loosest theme in the in the film where it's like this heavy bass. But there's another scene where they're using sort of like I don't know, like music and voice to sort of set the tone. And Luce is walking across campus because he has to meet his parents, the principal and Miss Wilson for a conference because um Stephanie, this girl in the film um, accuses Luce of um, assaulting her, raping her at a party. But, okay, so it's all up in arms. Like, it's never really proven if Luce did anything. But Luce was definitely at the party. But I think that Stephanie, this girl who was an ex-girlfriend of Luz, to get her to, you know, um, confide that she had been assaulted at the party to Ms. Wilson was like a provocation. And it was all set up by Luz. And that it was to get Ms. Wilson all riled up get her to accuse, you know, really, you know, sink her teeth into him. And she's like, okay, I got him. This girl just, um, you know, I knew she'd been assaulted. And then she said, Luce did it. Like, this is, this is Luce. And, and then once he gets her in this room and she's like raging and to basically have this girl who was there that's supposed to tell everyone this story she just up and disappears. So it was like this whole setup. And so he's manipulating this situation and he has this plan. And and then, 
I'm, it's, it's, I'm getting way off track, but it's a whole setup. I think it's a whole setup. And I don't know if it was set up from the beginning. I don't know what point the plan, Lucy's plan started, but there's a there was a plan going on behind the scenes. Like it was just, it was not just coincidental. There was a lot going on. And okay, so now that I'm thinking about this, I probably should add this. But in the instance of race and class, um, like Lucy's upper class. He has the best, he has two best friends, one named Kenny, who's white, and then Corey, who's black. And I think at the party when Stephanie was assaulted, I think his friend Corey was involved, and maybe Kenny. But Luce is really trying to cover for Corey because I think Corey is a different class than Luce in a different socioeconomic class. And if an assault, if it had gotten out and that that he, Corey had assaulted someone, he would be, you know, his life would be, would have ended. You know, he would have went to jail, went to trial. He wouldn't have been going to college, nothing like that. He would have went on the path of Deshaun that would have went on. And so Luce is trying to, like, save him. Like, he realized that there's a difference in class and that that kind of accusation against someone, uh, Corey's socioeconomic status and race would have not been handled the same way. And so he's trying to protect his friends more than he's trying to protect this girl who's his ex-girlfriend. And it's just crazy. So I just, I just got so off track. So anyway, he's walking, Luce is walking across campus to the conference. And during this scene when he's walking, it shows, okay, it's got the heavy bass. And then it shows these cheerleaders practicing their cheer in the, dream, in the gym and the chant that they're doing. I don't know if it was like a thing, but I was like, this is, this works. Like there's this ghost with what's going on. It was kinda like Luce's uh his his uh what's it like, you know, when you're getting yourself pumped up to go into battle. It's like the music that you're listening to to get yourself you know, psyched up and ready and, you know, to get on point and everything. And so that's the they're like these scenes of these cheerleaders and the you know, this voices of them doing their cheer. It's being, you know, um, cut into these scenes, you know, back and forth of the cheer, then loose walking, then the cheer. Anyway, the cheer goes, uh, what, what, it's your time, it's your time, one, two, yes, 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 we can, yes, we can, hey, 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 hey. And so I was like, okay, it's your time, loose, you know, yes, we can, we can do it, you can do it. I was just like, okay. So that was like, I don't know, it was like this, this impromptu, uh, like this impromptu hype music to get him up to just really manipulate the heck out of all these people. And final thoughts. Um, and I kind of said this, you know, earlier, but I'm not sure if... 
Luce had a plan from the very beginning. You know, like if it started with the paper that he wrote for Ms. Wilson's class, it was like he'd been wanting to get this woman fired from school. And he sets this, you know, he does this paper that he knows is going to make her alert, that's going to make her pay attention to, you know, like what's really going on with this kid? I don't know. At times I felt like he was just kind of making it up as he went. And then other times I felt like it was it was a, a a plan that he had, you know, way weeks ahead of before he even wrote the paper. You know, like he had wanted to do something. Because I think it started with I don't know which happened first. I think the party with Stephanie getting assaulted or Deshaun getting kicked off the football team and getting expelled. I think whichever one happened first, which was they were both way before he wrote the paper. Um, If he had a plan from the beginning, it was one of those kind of just, I think, was a catalyst that sort of set him off and set on, you know, creating this plan to get Miss Wilson fired to ruin her life. I think... He knew that people would believe him before they would believe her, but he also did some things that made her, that that would make people discredit her, um, things that were going on in her life. He was a really good actor. The fact that him being a good actor, it just made me question all of his responses in the movie when he was acting really surprised or... He couldn't understand why people didn't believe him or he was just completely, you know, acting completely innocent. Like he just didn't get why Ms. Wilson was targeting him or why she would think that he threatened her. Like, you know, but he was good at acting. And that's the part where I was like, he's manipulating everyone, including the viewers, us, because, you know, I'm questioning not only what I'm witnessing on screen, but then I'm starting to question, you know, like, is was that really a threat? You know, is she really out? Did she have it out for him? Like, I was questioning that as well. And so he's like playing all of us. Luz is very calculated and almost robotic. Even in the way he speaks, he's very, very, very careful with his words. So one thing that I wanted to come back to as as my closing thought was um, how many of us wear masks? Um, How many of us are our true, authentic selves for, you know, fear that we aren't in a safe space to do so? Or whatever our reasons are. Uh, granted, we may not be out manipulating our coworkers and neighbors, or are we? Um, we, I think, everyone wears different faces, shows different parts of um, themselves to others when we, when they feel it's safe or necessary. Oftentimes, Black people in America wear masks as a as a way of survival playing the game faking a smile sometimes 
being cordial, exchanging pleasantries, being team players to stay in the game, to be less threatening, to be more likable, to seem more friendly, because, you know, it it can affect our livelihood. It can affect how easy it is for us to exist in this world. And I think that is, well, I know it's not a an ideal way to go about life. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, like Miss Wilson says, we're all in the same type box. And it only gets so much light. Not everyone will get light. Will you be the one? Will I be the one? Is the person, is the getting the light or being the person that gets the light, is that the person we want to be? Is this something we even need to ask ourselves? You know, is it worth playing the game or playing the game the same way? Or is it worth even debating or figuring out who gets the light? Is that something that we should even be conscious of or, or be cons- you know considering that at all? Um, do we break out the box? And or stay in the box, and then if we break out the box, is it safe to do so? But I think this one was an excellent um, examination of mainly race and class and all the things that make up race and class, or what makes race and class difficult in America specifically through the lens of um, a black person in America Um, it's a great film highly recommend it and this is going to be the end of this episode Um, don't forget to follow me on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts Just search for Juncture Podcast and you'll see my logo. You can also find me on Twitter at Juncture Podcast. If you're interested in having your dream analyzed on an episode of Juncture, just go to my Twitter page at Juncture Podcast and there's a pinned post with a link to a form to submit your dream anonymously. Fill out the form or share the link. And finally, thanks for listening to Juncture Podcast and I hope you all tune in next time.